I've got my rifle in my lap and I'm disoriented and I've got a headache and I don't know which way to go to get back to the ranch house. And this is like pre-flip phone days. So this is like, yeah, Nokia, you're not like brick, looking at your, phone. No. you're not tracking the, the way you came in. No. Yeah, no. So I could hear some vehicles off in the distance. I was like, I'll just walk to the road. Somebody will stop and help me. Yeah. Well, as it turns out in the hill country of Texas yeah. with cloud cover, you can hear a semi truck from a long damn ways. Oh yeah. And so, it's not like a sidewalk all the way to that road. It's like, <laughs> no, it's a brush. Yeah. And there's so many animals out at night in Texas. And I'm already gun shy now because, you know, I just, just got charged got by, a pig. Yeah. by a pig. So anyways, I take off and hike for hours. I finally get to this highway. I'm so proud of myself. And turns out if you've got what looks like a sniper rifle and you're in camo and you're covered in blood, nobody wants to stop for you in the middle of the night in Texas. Surprise, That's weird. surprise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't think that one all the way through. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. A hot drink can become cool in two primary ways, through conduction and convection. Conduction occurs when two objects touch each other. Imagine holding a piece of ice. Before long, your fingers are cold and the ice begins to melt. That's conduction. Convection occurs when a gas or liquid moves from being different temperatures. When you heat water over a stove, the warm water moves up and the cool water moves down. That's what you're seeing when water boils, and that's convection. A stainless vacuum bottle prevents conduction from occurring by creating a void between the walls of the bottle, thermos, or cup and the outside air. It prevents convection by keeping all the liquid inside at the same temperature. That's how a Stanley product keeps your cold drink cold and your hot drink hot. And they've been doing it for 110 years. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Stanley 1913, and you can check out their new and classic line of products at stanley1913.com. Casey. Casey Richmond. Yep. From Everly Stock. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. How's your hunting season? This year was a little rough. Um... They're all a little rough, aren't they? Like the harder you try, the rougher they get. Yeah, last year I think it was just a I got lucky a couple times. Yeah. And then it, you know, kind of changes your mindset and so this year felt extra tough. Um I was trying to hold out for some bigger animals which you know, you kind of regret it sometimes afterward if you don't actually tag out and Um but I had fun. I mean, I got out a lot and uh got a lot of good experience which i think is probably the most important thing for me still so it was do, fun do you feel like targeting bigger animals offers you more enjoyment uh sometimes i mean i could have like tagged out the first morning of my archery elk hunt on a spike and then i wouldn't have been able to like get close to a couple big bulls that i got close to you know a couple weeks later um so yeah i think that like it, enjoyment and frustration. I mean, there were some pretty frustrating times when I totally thought I was going to get a shot at a nice bull and then, you know, something happened. And Well, tell me, tell me a story about one of those times when it almost happened because, you know, a lot of the stories that people tell are like just when it goes well. So we get lots of examples of it looking good, but the reality is different. Reality is most of the time it doesn't work out. Yeah. So, yeah. You don't usually go kill on like the first morning you know you go out uh, especially something you're trying to target um yeah so the spot i was hunting was it wasn't like an easy spot to get into first of all like it was a you know three hour drive on a dirt road like pretty not super well maintained dirt road in your truck and i uh and then i had my motorcycle in the back um oh what kind of motorcycle it's a dual sport an old dr 650 yeah yeah I like hunting off motorcycles. It's fun. I had never done it until this last fall. And Underrated. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you get like a, an experience before the hunt. I mean, there's, it's, you know, you're waking up at four in the morning, you're just ripped, like the trail getting up there was pretty gnarly. And I don't, like, I just have the stock headlamp or headlight. And, yeah. Uh, so, and, <laughs> Which isn't great. And that DR650, the first gear is like fast. I mean, you're, so I'm like pinned going up like these 
super loose, deep, gnarly things with my whole, my bow on my backpack and yeah. just like an adventure before the sun even comes up. So it was fun. It was a little stressful. Like the first couple of days, just like, you know, I was stressed that I, my bow was going to be all jacked up just from the ride, but I didn't, I never like laid the bike down or anything. And, um, it let me get into a, a spot that, um, I didn't run into any other hunters. So that tells you, and it's really not that far from, from here, um, in town. So like as a crow flies, but, uh, pretty hard to get into. And then you drop down a couple thousand feet into it, which like the whole time you're dropping, you just know if you kill something, you got to hike that bowl yeah. straight up back out of there. And so in the morning, I'm kind of on these ridges and this happened multiple times, but uh, I guess the most frustrating time for me was, uh, kind of located a nice bowl, kind of pushing these cows up from, uh, some fields in the bottom, uh, to go bed. And I had, uh, the wind wasn't weird or anything. It was pretty predictable. Um, I could see where they were coming up. I kind of knew the little timber patch, the North facing spot where they were going to probably bed. So I kind of, wasn't able to cut them off like where they were. The wind was kind of weird in the bottom that they, they kind of like crossed this bottom where the, the wind was kind of swirling down there. What um, time of day? This was probably, probably closer to 10. Okay. So that's, that's an interesting time of day for elk hunters because it's, it's a good time for you to catch them moving. Yeah. And if you're close enough to, to get in there, you're going to be really tempted to, cause it's like, Holy crap. I, yeah. I saw elk. They're on the move. I know where they're at. Like I can see. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, your inclination is going to be to want to get in there and mix it up right at that time. But mm -hmm. that's also a really volatile time for wind. Yeah. Cause it starts moving around and so like it, it starts warming up and it, yeah. it takes a lot of confidence in yourself to wait. But, uh, yeah. Well, I, and I'm sure I had made that mistake many other times before that. And so right. I actually, thought I was, you know, and I think I still did the right thing. I, I waited. Um, good for you. Yeah. And I just kind of played it smart. I, I knew I just, I mean, I was, I went through like a whole wind checker probably that weekend. Um, <laughs> just like <laughs> just leave triple the trail check. Yeah. I was like, you go. Yeah, I was like yeah. okay. Cause it was kind of, I mean, there were like these little fingers going down this like kind of North facing like face, I guess that there's this long Ridge. And, uh, so there's some timber in there. Yeah, what? I don't even. It wasn't like a a pine timber. It was like I'm trying to think what uh what juniper, tree maybe it wasn't juniper. It was I mean almost like willows. Oh, okay, but just so thick. I mean, like you had to be on like a and going into that stuff. You had to follow some sort of elk trail. And even those elk, you're like, how the heck do they get down this thing? Right. You can tell they step there, but like it's just a like a spider web full of. So like, that changes these, the game because now you know if you're going to get a shot, it's going to be right in your face. And you're not going to have any time. So the, yeah, that opening day I passed on that uh, spike. So sorry, I'm going back like yeah. a weekend, I think, um, pass on a spike. And then like an hour later, I thought I heard some like animals moving kind of below me in this North facing yeah. thing. And I was kind of moving the, to the saddle. So I was like, I'm going to go check that out. And sure enough, there were some, uh, group of bulls in there, uh, just all together, no cows. And, uh, it was like that same kind of brush. I mean, it just one ridge over. So it's super thick stuff. And, um, and I'm just doing everything I can to like sneak in there, not like sneak, sneak. I'm trying to sound like an elk. So I'm doing some little like cow calls and kind of breaking some branches while not trying to like jack my bow up. Yeah. And then, uh, I got a, uh, like a raghorn five point to come literally three yards from me. <laughs> and it was so thick. I couldn't even draw. And I would have shot that bull. I mean, I, I was with another buddy and so I was like, well, it'd be kind of nice to knock one out opening day. And, yeah. um, I wasn't going to pass on that bull, but I just couldn't even get a shot and he was three yards. I mean, I almost could have like jabbed him with the arrow. Oh. Um, what a feeling, right? To be that close to a bull. <laughs> it was crazy. I even have a, so I turned on my, on my phone, I, I hit record. Like I started the video and just put it on my bino harness. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I think this thing's coming in yeah. and it like. I knew it was going to be closed because he could, he wouldn't be able to see me until he's right there anyway. And I was like trying to move so I could get my elbow back. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm just <laughs> looking around. I could hear him coming and coming and the wind's good. So I'm like, he's going to come all the way in. I'm like, he might walk right over me. And no matter what I, and it was super, super steep. So anytime I'd like try and move to get my, to see if I could be able to draw right there. Like I'm like sliding down these like, you know, slippery branches and stuff. It's all like wet. And, uh, 
And it was wild. I'd like look up and I'm like, he's, you know, three, three feet away or I mean, three yards away. So and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can see, you know, he's got nice brown time. just like looking right at me and not knowing what I was. And we, we just looked at each other for like a whole minute. And I'm just like, dang it, what do I do? And so didn't get a shot on him. So anyway, fast forwarding back to the next weekend. Um, so yeah, it's 10 a.m. or something. I'm see this this nice bull. I mean, he's a definitely mature six point and pushing a bunch of cows. So uh, definitely a nice a bull. I was I would be super happy with. And uh, so the it warmed up. It was kind of a normal September mid September day. Uh, warmed up. The thermals started coming up, and so I was like, okay, I'm gonna wait just like another half hour, to make sure like the wind's not gonna do anything weird, and then I'll try and slip slip in there. And they were all I could tell they were still in that little pocket. And there was kind of like, I kind of took the top of the finger where there was a little, it wasn't so thick. I mean, I was able to like actually walk down it. Um, I spent probably, let's see, two hours maybe getting down a hundred yards. So I was at that point, probably about 30, 40 yards. Still couldn't really see them, see them because it was so thick, but I could hear them and knew they were right there and the wind was good. And, uh, Again, what a feeling. Oh, it was, it was cool. Like, I mean, if you could bottle that, yeah. I would be such a junkie. I know. It's like you, like when you're, like, it's like after it's over, like that encounter's over, you're just like, man, I wish it was just like September all year, you know? Yeah. It's, it's cool. Honestly, that feeling is is my favorite as, as far as like actually being on a hunt. It's that moment before, you mm, know, it, yeah. it isn't the, you know, the execution of a shot. Because that's almost just like, you're just going through the motions that you practiced at that point. That's Hopefully. Almost, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's but, it. Yeah. But that, that moment where you're not sure quite how it's going to go and, you know, you've, you're just flooded with all the feelings of possibility of what, what may or may not happen. I guess the, the, just the heaviness of the potential right then yeah. is, is my favorite feeling that that's what gets me coming back. Do you focus on, cause I always try and catch myself from not thinking about like, but I, I always naturally like start thinking like, oh my gosh, like I could take this bull home today. You know, like this, I might shoot a like, the biggest bull in my life today. Like, yeah. But I try and tell myself like, you're not, you know, you haven't shot him yet, so Dude, don't. I, I don't know. I start talking to myself as positively as I can. If I have the wherewithal to like actually gather myself up and uh-huh. be composed, I I try to tell myself things like, you've practiced for this. You're you're a good shot. Um, you know what to do next. That's good. Because yeah. if I, if I don't do that, then I'll start telling myself things like, well, what if he takes a step while you release or, or what if you can't follow blood trail with the amount of dew that's on the brush right now? Mm-hmm. Um, or what if you punch the trigger or, Hey, don't do this or don't do that. Or remember to do this. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll start spitballing all this negativity and it's distracting probably it's distracting and i'll also manifest it you know we were watching videos uh, a minute ago of somebody you know getting on their first bull and riding the bull yeah if you look at the ground when you're bull riding you'll end up not (laughs) only on the ground but on that part of the ground like you just claimed that piece of real estate you start flying right towards the yeah um so it's like yeah i mean i grew up surfing and uh you you go where your head moves. So like you're, when you do a big turn, yeah. like on a wave, you initiate the turn with your, with your head. And right. so, yeah, it's the same thing mentally though. I feel like same your thing mentally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you turn your head mentally, when, yep. when you're getting close to a bull, that's, that's the direction that everything's going to go. And there's things that are outside of your control Yeah, and you need to realize that too. But a lot of misses occur because people are afraid that they're about to lose an opportunity yeah. and they force the miss rather than accepting the situation and sort of manifesting that hit and speaking positively yeah. with themselves. And it's funny because I know, I mean, I haven't been hunting elk that long. Um, it's probably my seventh season, sixth, sixth, seventh season, something like that. And the first few seasons um, were unsuccessful for me. And I feel like every time I, you know, get a bull to start coming in or I'd like find some elk, I, yeah, it was like the fear of like, Oh my gosh, this is an opportunity. This might yeah. be my only opportunity of the of the season. Like I might, you know, I, I don't want to screw this up and I would just be thinking that negative thoughts and then yeah. that happened every time. So Okay, so they're yeah. 40 yards away. Yeah. They're in the brush. You can hear them. Yeah, and 
I kind of got to a point where I was above the trail that I they took up there, and I was pretty sure they were going to take back down to the fields in the evening. So instead of trying to push through the brush and cow call my way in there and hope that, you know, the elk I get closest to is that herd bull, um, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try and wait. With the, the wind's good, I'm going to try and wait right above this trail. I had a shooting lane, um, and my, you know, I thought I had a perfect plan. I kind of did. I mean, like, I don't know. It was it was a pretty awesome setup, and uh, so I knocked an arrow and ranged everything, made sure I kind of knew where everything was. I, you know, had my wind checker out, so I just made sure, like, I wasn't going to somehow blow them out of there. Um, and I kind of just sat there, and I sat there for, let's see, so it was probably noon by the time I got to that spot, and I'm trying to think what time, like, shooting light was, but I sat sat in that same exact spot, and I, if it weren't so thick, I wouldn't have done this, because I've... I, I've done this too many times to like make this mistake usually, but I left my pack up at the top of the ridge. Oh yeah. So I didn't have any water, didn't have anything. Um, so, and it was pretty hot and kind of a dry, hot thermal wind. And so, you know, six hours later or something, I'm just still sitting there and trying to, you know, glass up other, you know, see if just trying to keep myself busy. I think I glassed up a bear, um, kind of walking around on the other side of the, of the, uh, drainage there. But, I heard the elk start getting up like 30 minutes before sunset probably. So I probably had an hour left of legal shooting light. And, uh, uh, so I kind of got ready. I mean, I was like, I was like, Oh, I got this perfect. You know, I bet the cows are going to file out and then that bull's going to be right there. I'll stop them with a cow call and boom. But, uh, it didn't happen like that. They just were moving around, but still in that thick spot. And then it got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm being too like scared. I need to like move in on them. And, be more aggressive. And so I kind of started making my way, making sure like with the wind at my face, but making my way closer to them. And, uh, I could start hearing other bulls sound off and stuff. So animals are starting to move more and I'm like, okay, I don't think they will be too worried about a cow coming in to check them out. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the problem with this situation is I don't know exactly like what happened. Um, Obviously I know they didn't come into my call and I, I didn't get close enough to shoot, but, um, that thick, thick, like alder or willow, whatever kind of stuff was at the bottom there was just so disorienting. And I just kind of lost track of them. And then somehow, I mean, I I could hear their footsteps. I couldn't tell exactly which way they're going out, but I mean, I either bumped them out or they just took a different route out. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I, I knew where these elk were all day. I sat on them for six hours, you know, kept like walked in on them for two hours and sat on them for six hours. And then like it, the opportunity was just gone like that. And I was like, I was 40 yards from like maybe killing the biggest elk of my life. And so that was probably the most frustrating day of the season for me, just because yeah. I thought I had it all figured out. And then, you know, within 30 seconds that somehow my, <laughs> my whole day's plan was just like, wait, what happened to that whole day? You know, like it just the elk went a different way. So it's memorable though. Yeah. Um, so we're using the recon bottom harness. Yep. There's that little pouch on the front that you had your, your phone scope and stuff in. So did you yeah. just unzip that and, and stick your phone in it? Yeah. So I zipped it. So I kind of like zipped it from each side yeah. and then it was able to prop up. And I actually filmed a handful of like encounters that way. This That's season. really cool. I hadn't yeah. thought about doing that. Yeah. There are a bunch of times where it's like, Oh, something needs about to happen. And you could totally just, Oh yeah. Hit, hit record and go hands free. And then yeah, yeah. that's the that's depth sweet. of the harness too. Um, I did get a couple of videos where I think I even drew on a spike in the video, but, um, of a spike coming in, uh, might've been the day after that from that story, but, uh, where I just put it right in front of the binos. So mm-hmm. in the actual, uh, main pouch yeah. and it like held it in perfectly too. So nice. yeah, it's kind of fun. I, I actually did have a GoPro that I left in my backpack. I was going to try and like put a GoPro on my head. And yeah. I feel like that always ends up distracting me. And, or like, I always think like, you know what? No, I'm I'm here to like, you know, hunt. I don't yeah. need to, you know, get this. Uh, I feel like if I'm going to waste time screwing with the GoPro and then this, you know, the elk's going to be gone or something. Right. So, but sometimes I regret not filming more because it is cool to like watch it and relive it kind of. Dude. And then having a pack up on the ridge for six hours in the heat 
Yeah, that, it was brutal. That's rugged. I've played that game before um, with my pack for sure and just been like, oh, I'm coming right back. Yeah. And then you don't. The most ridiculous, though, is uh, I used to take my boots off to, to go on stocks. <laughs> yeah. And then that stock turns into like a four-mile endeavor. And now you've got four <laughs> miles to get back to your boots. And then you can't find your boots. Oh, yeah. It's, I don't I don't play that game anymore. Um, so what navigation like app do you use when you're hunting or do you all use? of them? Okay. So uh this surprises people, which is sort of flattering, I guess, but my sense of direction is awful. Oh it is? Um so bad. Yeah. I never know which direction north is. I don't possess that skill at all. So that's like one of those things that's like I don't know when I realized it, but it's like definitely something I I think I was born with, but I also am very yeah. like conscious of it. like i i'm always actively like trying to figure out where i'm at if i'm not like if i'm not driving i still have like map like the maps up app open just to yep. see like what we're driving by or something yeah. or hunting same thing so yeah i i love that i use maps yeah. all the time and i use lots of navigation aids i've got gps in this uh this watch this garmin tactics uh-huh. watch and it's got maps in there i have onyx i've got base map i've got go hunt <laughs> I've got redundancies for all of this and I'll often carry a paper map and a compass as well. And I know how to use all of it, but I've been lost before. I don't like it. It's an awful feeling. And one of the things that bothers me the most about being lost is that if you do so seriously enough, now other people have to put themselves at risk to come find you. Mm -hmm. And I can't tolerate the thought of that at all. Yeah. So, or like screwing up someone else's hunt. Like if your hunting buddy has to like leave a, Right. You know, a good spot to come try and find you. And having to spend a night out on the ground someplace is, t- is really crappy. Yeah. But I'll tell you one of my favorite getting lost stories. I was in, I was in the hill country outside Austin, Texas in college. I think I was a freshman or a sophomore in college. And, uh, this ranch had some pigs on it and they said that I could go shoot any pigs I wanted. I was like, sweet. Yeah. Um, the rifle that I brought was a twenty two two fifty. It was a gun that I shot really well, and it was great for coyotes and stuff like that. I'd never shot a pig in my life. And I went out, and I you know, found this group of pigs, and I snuck up on them, and I shot this great big boar right in the shoulder mm-hmm. and knocked him down. I was like, cool. Pig hunting's awesome. Yeah. I'm good at it. Yeah. And I go over there, and I find a blood trail and then lose it and find the blood trail, lose it. And eventually as it's starting to get dark, I don't know whether he was just running towards me or whether he was actually charging me, but here comes this boar and I shot him and I was backing up as I did so. And I fell back and I hit the back of my head on a rock and I knocked myself completely no unconscious. No way. You're by yourself? By myself. Um, so when I came to, it was pitch black, like completely dark. It was overcast. So there wasn't a star in the sky, no, no moon. No, nothing. Kind of thick, brushy stuff. So I've got this dead pig in front of me. I've got my rifle in my lap and I'm disoriented and I've got a headache and I don't know which way to go to get back to the ranch house. And this is like pre-flip phone days. So this is like Nokia brick phone. No, you're not tracking the the way you came in. No. Yeah, no. So I could hear some vehicles off in the distance. I was like, I'll just walk to the road. Somebody will stop and help me. Yeah. Well, as it turns out in the hill country of Texas yeah. with cloud cover, you can hear a semi truck from a long damn ways. Oh yeah. And so, it's not like a sidewalk all the way to that road. It's like, <laughs> no, it's a brush. Yeah. And there's so many animals out at night in Texas and I'm already gun shy now because you know, I just, <laughs> just got charged by, got a pig. Yeah. by a pig. So anyways, I take off and hike for hours. I finally get to this highway. I'm so proud of myself. And turns out if you've got, what looks like a sniper rifle and you're in camo and you're covered in blood. Nobody wants to stop for you in the middle of the night in Texas. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't think that one all the way through. Finally, this, uh, this rancher pulling a stock trailer, he stops about a quarter mile past me, backs up and he says, you look like you're in trouble. I said, I am, I don't know where I am. I'm trying to get back to this ranch. And, uh, you know, he's like, do you know their phone number? And I said, I don't, but I can call home if I can borrow your phone and then they can call and you know, somebody will come get me. So this guy lets me use his phone and that's what I do. I call my little sister back in Oregon. I say, Hey, get a hold of these guys. Tell them I'm on a highway somewhere. Come get me. You know, can't be that many of them. Yeah. And this guy takes off and tell him, thank you. Um, and I lay down and pull out the bipod of my rifle, set it down. And I lay down on the side of the road and I'm just like, you know, I'm, 
I'm so tired and relieved and it's going to be fine. Well, it turns out one of these cars that I'd like tried to wave down um, earlier had uh, gone ahead and called the cops. So as I'm laying there, some headlights pull up and I think, okay, sweet, here's like, our answer. Here's, yeah. here's my ride. And I get up and grab my rifle and this oh, dude gets no. out behind his door <laughs> and he draws his pistol on me and gives me some instructions, which I followed to the letter yep. um, as, as cool as I could. And he's like asking me for ID. I don't have my wallet, um, you know, turns into this big ordeal. And this is just a single officer. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, you know, he was able to determine pretty quickly that, you know, I was being honest, just telling him I was in this really weird situation yep. and uh, he gave me a bottle of water and I hung out for a while and my stepdad came and picked me up and that was the end of that but I think that's Were probably you able to go get the pig at some point I didn't no? even know where it was <sighs> wouldn't know yeah. how to how to get back there yeah um, if I tried and uh Especially like walking out to, in the dark I mean yeah yeah how do you even know I had this thing um I had a video camera too called a flip video I don't know if you ever remember those they like predated the GoPro um, what did it look like? It was like this rectangular thing, like a long box of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and all it could do, it could shoot 60 seconds of video or 60 minutes of video. And it had record and stop. And that was it. Was it like, did it record to an SD card or what did it record to? Like a tape? I think you like had one to, of those tapes? I think you had to plug it in to a computer somehow. I don't think there was a card that you could remove from it. I, I, I oh, don't Okay, so it had its own little like internal. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember sure. that, but that sounds pretty awesome but yeah it was it was pretty janky but it was you know gopro wasn't a thing yet. yeah yeah anyways i'd been recording some of this hunt like through my scope and everything um and then once i got to the pig with this flip video and i'd lost it somewhere in like that scuffle of me falling yeah. down and i did try to go back the next day to find the pig and find my video camera and i got in some of that same country and i was like man i don't know which way's left and which way's down yeah. And uh, I was like, I'm getting out of here. So somewhere in the hill country of Texas is an old video camera and a, and a hog skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty cool to see that video. Yeah. So that's that's me getting lost. Yeah, that sounds pretty uh, – I mean, you got lucky. It definitely could have been worse, like hitting your head like that and getting knocked out in the middle of – Sure. Could have been sport. a lot worse. Yeah. Could have been a lot worse. That does suck, though. But uh, <laughs> No, I was going to ask you, when you're doing like a motorcycle elk hunt like this and – you know, you're, you're basically bringing a day pack cause you're coming in and out in the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might need to be packing out elk by the quarter. Yep. What, what pack are you carrying? Um, I've been using the tall mainframe, um, okay. as like the base, like, and I've been using that for almost five years now. Okay. And then depending on the hunt, I switch up, you know, what pack goes on the frame for this, for that particular day, I was using a 2,500 cubic inch vapor okay. pack which yeah. uh just zips onto the frame and then i did like the, the weekend after that i was i was tired of like riding in and out every day and then also it's like you know you're dropping a couple thousand feet and you gotta sure. climb that back and you know, i wasn't getting back to camp till or before midnight and then you know waking up at four so i started packing in camp um like the third and fourth weekend i think of the season i think we had four weekends this season and so for that particular when i'm packing in camp i was using the five thousand cubic inch but yep. same same frame and everything. So, I used that five thousand on a bear hunt this spring. Um, okay. That I spent a few days out. And it was cold. It snowed. Um. So I had a lot of cold weather gear with mm-hmm. me too. And that's a tremendous system. Like the F one mainframe plus yep. plus five thousand is really good for a you know three four day type deal. Yeah, and I like before I worked at I really stock. I I used a bunch of different packs. There's a lot of great packs out there. I think the mainframe, its strengths are the simplicity of like. You know, when you get an animal down and you need to strap meat on the pack or on the frame, it's just, it's, you know, either two zippers or three buckles. I mean, it's a, it's a simple system. And then the comfort with weight is yeah. just from what I've experienced unmatched. Um, if, as long as you have your pack adjusted, right. But, uh, I mean that the mainframe pack packs weight like as well as any back I've tried and better. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's great. And, you know, we, like you said, bear hunt a lot. So, um, if I'm running a bait, sometimes we'll, we'll pack in, you know, 120 pounds of whatever bait we're using, usually donuts. Um, yeah. And and, a 50 gallon drum too, right? Yeah. 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 I did. Um, I think the worst pack in with the mainframe I've done or heaviest, it was pretty uncomfortable too. It was a 50, uh, the 50 gallon bait barrel 
that I had loaded with like a bunch of other stuff and I didn't really realize how heavy it was going to be yeah. and how awkward, but it, we, <laughs> I did have a scale cause I was just curious to see how much actual bait we were going to put on the, the site, um, that first day. So I weighed my pack and it was 163 pounds, um, Oof. which was brutal. And, uh, it was, it's like an uphill, it, it's not super far. It's like a mile, but uphill to the bait site. And it was, it was gnarly, like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. It's simple. I, I trap also. Um, and so I even use the mainframe as my base for, uh, my trapping pack, I guess nice. you could say, cause I just walk the river, um, usually for checking my line and I'll usually just put a five gallon bucket on the frame. It has that shelf right there and run a strap or two around the bucket and it's good to go. Are so. you trapping mink, otter, beaver? Yep. All those nice. raccoon, uh, tons of muskrat. I want to get into like some dry land kind of, uh, stuff, you know, coyote and bobcat at some point, but I live right on the river, um, just 40 miles down river from here at the office. So I can walk from my house and go check my line depending on how many traps I have out, you know, but I can be checking traps within two minutes of leaving my house. So great. Yeah. Works out. I take my, my, uh, four, well, five-year-old son now cool. to go check and he loves it. So yeah, yeah, it's fun. Nice. Lots of conor bears. Yeah. Conor bears and, um, a lot of, you know, uh, foothold for, I, I started doing like the, uh, like a drowning setup mm-hmm. for beaver. And once I figured that out, it was pretty fun. Yeah. But yeah, conifers are cool. Like if you find a good, uh, like a slew that, you know, you have a bunch of beaver or otter using, it's, it's pretty fun to like channel them right into your trap or yeah. I, my favorite though, I think is a cast around set where, you know, you see like beavers, you know, kind of making their a caster mount and you go put like a caster from a beaver you trapped last week right there and put a, a foothold right there with a, a drowning setup. And it's so, I don't know. It's, it's not like, like when you are hunting and you get something, but it, cause it's always like a surprise when you're going up to check your traps. But when you pull like a big beaver out of like a, off a, a drowning rig and Cause you, you know, you pull it up and you're like, I don't know if there's gonna be one when you see like the fur come up, you're just like, no, <laughs> it's yeah. like such a good feeling. Cause you feel like you, uh, especially when you're like learning too. Yeah. Like I'm still learning a lot. I've, I've only done it for a season or season and a half. And, uh, so when you like change something up and then it works, it's just, it's so like satisfying. Well, trapping is mostly just hope and disappointment. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that, especially, I mean, and then it's addicting because you're like, I, I hate checking the whole line and not getting one animal. So yeah. then you're like, I got to put more traps out, Yeah, which is more disappointing if you still don't get anything. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, your odds definitely, obviously at some point will go up the more traps you have, if you're putting them in the right spot. And if you make a set, sometimes I'm like, Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. it's perfect. Yep. This cannot fail. And then you come back to check and you're like, how? Yeah. Yeah. And coyotes, dude. Coyotes are the oh, worst. Yeah, I've I've uh I mean I've watched a bunch of coyote trapping videos. I personally haven't really done it yet, but um They'll make I've seen such vi- a fool out of you. Oh, it's like they literally it's like, oh, I know exactly where your trap is. I'm gonna walk everywhere right yeah. around it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Their senses are really powerful and I know. they're so smart. So I feel like I'm not really like you know, I, I trap, I guess I'd say I'm a trapper because I've trapped a ton of river animals, but I feel like I'm not like that legit yet because i haven't really gone and done the the coyote you're legit you're legit in my book well thanks i i think it's it would be cool i mean obviously the wolves here in in idaho are are uh i mean i hear more wolf howls than any other sound in the woods usually where i'm hunting but uh it'd be pretty cool to get to get good at like trapping wolves um and the you know fishing game department really does want more wolf trappers like they're constantly trying to like get people to, to sign up for training and, and get people. Certified. I came over and took the Idaho wolf trapping class and I mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah. Um, that was really well done. They go through all the, all the legalities of it. And then they provide a lot of instruction on how to trap wolves yeah. and they send you away with resources for it. Hats off to the state of Idaho. You guys have done mm-hmm. a wonderful job with that. Yeah, they do. I mean, and I like that they recognize that there isn't a need for, you know, the wolves to be managed, uh, yeah. just like every other animal is technically managed and they really need the help. I mean, and so they're, they do go out of their way to, to 
give you help or tips or guidance or whatever, even yeah. with, uh, on the river and stuff. Like I get calls from, uh, the town I live in. So I do some nuisance calls and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game wardens, the conservation officers by my house are always like very encouraging and they'll tell me where they see, you know, some problem beavers and stuff. And, and I don't know they, they've been really good to work with. So that's awesome. That, yeah. And that's how it should be. Yeah. Once word gets out, uh, word really gets out. I'm on my way to Mexico to go spearfishing right now. Um, but right before I left, my grandma was asking me to come trap some beavers out of the creek um, next to our cabin. That's awesome. And I, it's like, it's going to have to wait a little bit. Yep. Grandma. I'll get on it when I get yeah, back. The fur will just get more and more prime, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually uh, on the, I'm going to go check out a snowmobile tonight. There's a couple spots where I go bear hunt on um, these creeks where it's just like, what was I calling it? Like just like, well, yeah, just like beaver land. I mean, it's just like dam after dam after dam, like all the way up miles and miles up these creeks. And I'm like, there, there's like thousands of beavers up here, Yeah, but there's no way to get up there unless you're on a sled in the right. winter. So I'm doing it. I'm getting a sled just to go trap beavers up there. Basically. Cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's it'll awesome. be fun. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I've been using, um, the, the gunslinger two pack quite a bit. And I was debating about using that on my snow bike this winter. Mm. Um, cause I like to trap off that snow bike a lot. Oh, it's, cool. It's yeah. a wonderful platform to, to lay a trail in the snow and to be able to carry a limited amount of gear. But as opposed to trapping with a snowmobile, as far as land trapping, mm-hmm. you know, they might walk down either ski track. They could go really anywhere within. I don't really think about that. You're kind of making it, like, you're making a trail for them, right? But yeah, with like, the, with the snow bike, it's like, I know exactly where they're going to go. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty powerful. That Gunslinger 2-pack, though, I ended up um, guiding a few rifle elk hunts this year that I wasn't planning on, and I carried three quarters out on that pack. And um, Three elk quarters? Yeah, not not at the same time. Oh, okay. Um, I was like, holy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, for, it does. I mean, it has that same, It's we call it the Intex 2 frame. Um, it doesn't have the shelf. Yeah. The, the newest Gunslinger doesn't have the shelf, but it's the same structure on your back, and so it can yeah. carry, you know, I mean, guys put massive rifles in the scabbard there, and it's it's a comfortable pack i i use that in the f1 the mainframe for trapping i yeah. the gunslinger 2 uh is like such a versatile i use that for coyote hunting super I use it, versatile yeah, yeah. Great, i travel with it sometimes I mean, great predator pack yeah and it, it will fit as a carry-on mm-hmm. um, yep tuck the scabbard up into yep. the pack yep and it'll so you can fit it into um into that rack of you know above the overhead the yeah. or whatever yeah. the overhead yeah really really good pack mine you know i need uh I need some warm weather so I can run my pressure washer again and <laughs> kind of knock some of the some of the chunks off of it yeah. before I put it on another airplane. But yeah, I I think that that is a outstanding pack. You know, I wouldn't do multi day stuff with it, but no, there's been this need for a long time for a pack that you can day hunt with and still be able to pack a quarter. Yep, and a lot of people have taken stabs at it and come up short. Yep. And, you know, there's been some sort of catchy designs and stuff that you think you could carry a quarter with. And I've carried quarters with some of those lightweight day packs in the past that have like a, you know, scaled down frame yeah. and it is miserable. Oh yeah. Um, like you, it's all great until you have to actually strap that weight totally. on. Totally. Yeah. So if you have a pack like that now, I'd encourage people to, you know, go ahead and take, take it down to the gym and put two plates on it, uh, you know, throw 90 pounds in there and then just go walk around the block. Like you don't have to throw miles on and go mm-hmm. like go ruck yourself or anything crazy like that. But just go walk around the block of the gym with two plates on. And in that time, you'll know whether this pack is capable of, of serving as ca- carrying an out quarter or not. Yeah. And I, one thing, no matter what brand pack or, you know, whatever pack you're using, I think a lot of people don't take the time to make sure that their packs fitted correctly. And I think a lot of people probably run their packs in a way that like it's so much more uncomfortable than it could be. Like there's a lot of packs out there that are going to fit great. They're going to be really comfortable for, you know, 90% of the time you're using it. Uh, if it's, as long as it's, you know, adjusted correctly, obviously a, a heavy pack out's a heavy pack out. It's going to be painful. You're going to be sore, but yeah, if everything's adjusted, right? Like you're not going to, you shouldn't, you know, uh, we're, we're trying like, to limit the pain, the pain. And like, yeah. you shouldn't be, you know, like injuring yourself from the exactly. weight. Um, you shouldn't be, wasting a bunch of energy because your pack's moving around and like, because it's not tightened in this, you know, a certain straps not tightened down or 
anyway, there's there's the you know five or six different you know main important adjustments that every pack every hunting pack probably has and i i see so many people like pictures of people hunting and their backpacks are just like not adjusted at all and i'm like oh man like if they strap an elk quarter on that thing it's gonna be really really uncomfortable so so the best way in my experience to get a pack adjusted correctly is to go to somebody that knows how to do it and have them help you yeah it's it's a lot harder to try and do it yourself i mean definitely you'd have to do it in front of a mirror because you got to be looking and see kind of like how it's fitting on you but if you have another person that knows what they're doing it's going to help a lot but if not everybody has that right so what advice can you offer to people that you know are now now wondering is my pack adjusted correctly for me like what what can you tell them to be able to to help them a little bit um well first on all of our pack product pages on our website at really stock um we do include uh or every product page has a how to adjust your pack video on there we're obviously using Everly Stock packs, but it's it's pretty uh, generic in terms of if you watch that video, you should have a good idea of what adjustments to make on your pack, regardless of the brand. But the most important thing that I see, I mean, a lot of people just don't understand. Like, or they get the concept, like, yeah, the weight is supposed to be on your on your hip belt, right? Like, you're supposed to take the majority of the weight off your shoulders, and people just don't get the hip belt in a position that it's going to be able to like support the weight. So they'll have it way too low and they need the hip belt above their hip bones or on their hip bones so that like there's something there for the pack to bite onto if, if that makes sense. So okay. that, um, cause otherwise the, you know, people will basically be like sagging their backpack and, uh, and so all that weight is just going to end up on your shoulders and you're going to end up, in a lot of pain and you're going to want to take your backpack off after a hundred yards and stuff like that. Yeah, so, your arms are going numb. Yeah. You can't use trekking poles cause yeah. you can't lift your arms and yeah. I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of great videos out there on how to adjust a backpack, but I think people need to spend, you know, the five minutes it takes to make those adjustments and your experiences out there will be so much more enjoyable. Yeah. And your guys's packs are easy to make those adjustments on. Yeah. Some packs are pretty intimidating. Like yeah. after you make the adjustment, you're like, okay, screw it. I don't want to do that again. That, yeah. was, that took me, you know, 25 minutes and my knuckles are bleeding. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, if you have a backpack like that, there are some out there where you, you start even just like, okay, I have an oak down. I need to strap a quarter on. And it's like a 20 minute process to get that on. That's it. That's intimidating. Yeah. You're probably gonna have to go to that brand's website to watch a specific video on how to do that um and then our, those packs never get put back together correctly <laughs> no. again yeah you see straps just like unbuckled that like definitely need to be buckled yeah our packs are simple i mean you're you're mainly going to adjust the uh the height of your torso so like your sh- where your shoulder harness meets the frame okay. and that's a simple just velcro strap um and we have a ladder system there so a bunch of different adjustment points for your torso length and then obviously your hip belt's easy to adjust but uh let's see and then you have your uh your load lifters which are gonna be a lot of people mess that up where they just crank them down way too tight and it puts way too much pressure on the front of your shoulder instead of just kind of limiting the amount of movement that the top of your pack has um people just kind of get carried away with the load lifter straps and then the sternum strap is important just to not have your backpack like the shoulder straps digging into your arms the whole time yeah so i will but, say with the sternum strap it's a it's a pro move that when you stop to take a rest, you can unclip that thing, and it'll let your chest expand yeah. a little bit more, and you can sort Breathe of take that. yeah take that time to like fix your posture and mm-hmm. really like let your lungs work, and then when you're ready to go again, clip that thing back up and go. Yep. Yeah, I like how there's not a war between your guys's recon modular bino harness and the sternum straps on your pack. I've had yeah. that trouble in the past before where it's like i've got to choose between these i don't know which order they go on yep. and it just turns into chaos but that's not a problem with your guys' stuff it works together pretty well yeah um and i i mean there's you could put some people put the sternum strap behind the bino harness some people put it right above um it doesn't really affect the way that the recon is designed that you can still get your binos out no matter how you put that sternum strap over pretty it, so. nice yeah, yeah pretty nice it's a lot different than like the older Bino, what would you even call them? Bino, they're not bino harnesses, but like the the straps that you'd buy, where 
Yeah. If you put your sternum strap over it, you couldn't even get the binos yeah, to your, your face, host. you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, what does this hunting season hold for you? I mean, we have we don't know tag draws yet or anything, but. Um, I have a pretty exciting year. Um, so I'm actually going to, we have SHOT Show, I guess, the end of next week. We go down to SHOT. Straight from SHOT Show, I am going down to Sonora for a coos deer hunt for a week. Nice. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Uh, so I just heard that Sonora got 26 inches of rain this year. They've been in a drought. The grass is really tall. And I just saw pictures of a 129-inch coos deer. Really? Um, who's just massive. Craziest coos deer I've ever seen. And yeah. coos deer typically don't do a lot for me, but this one did. I think you're in for a great hunt. I, yeah, I'm, I, I've been just nonstop listening to people, you know, other podcasts where guys just got back from a coos deer hunt, watching, you know, hunts on YouTube and, um, just trying to like consume as much coos deer content, um, as possible. This hunt just literally came out of nowhere. Um, the guys from Montana knife company actually kind of were sending me on this hunt. Uh, oh, really? yeah. So cool. I'm going with Tristan, um, from MKC and, and we'll be down there uh, for a week. So that's a great start to the year. I mean, that was a, literally I found out two weeks ago that that was happening. So oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, Josh from Montana knife company, yep. he sent me a, a stonewall skinner. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was writing an article for guns America about, uh, about hunting knives and really they're, I've been seeing them around and, and some of, some of the other guides that I've that I've worked with and hunted with have used them and yep. nobody's saying bad things. And I just wanted to know, you know, I felt like it needed to be included in this article and yeah. that is a great knife. Oh yeah. That is a great knife. I've carried that knife a lot. And I think since then I'm going to undershoot this to make sure that I'm not lying. I think it's five deer, but I'm going to say four deer that I've, uh, that I've processed with this knife and an Oryx. Um, Sweet. <laughs> And uh, it's still sharp. I haven't, oh, you haven't even resharpened I haven't, it. I haven't it's... touched the edge of it yet. I'm just waiting to see what it's going to take for this thing to no longer be sharp. That magna cut steel it's is awesome. incredible. Yeah. Yep. So it's, oh, it's hats off to Josh. Yeah. That dude knows how metal works. He does. Um, yeah, I started using the speed goat right. Ref- I mean, right when it came out. Um, I, I guess want that, that was, mini speed goat. I I processed three bears with that mini speed did goat you? this last spring. That's that my that's beast. my kind of knife. I love and for trapping, like yeah. I did a lot of. Um, let's see, I did some raccoon, like four raccoon, a couple mink, probably thirty muskrat, and a few beaver with that same mini speed goat. I just love how small. I mean, you can get you just put your finger right at, right behind the tip right there, and you yeah. can just put it. That's what I love about the Argali carbon knife. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's perfect for for my hand, for really precision work, for general work. Yep. And you know the the blade contours to me look pretty similar. Yeah. The speed goat, the mini speed goat has more of like the old school sharp finger. Yeah. Um, profile. Yeah, that tip is like super. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I think Josh is doing wonderfully well that people aren't talking about enough is uh, the the cases that he's using. Um, those Kydex cases. And oh yeah. Then the, the way, sheath, yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. And then the way that sheath can attach to a belt loop or to your pack, yep. take it on or off really easily, yep. use it in a lot of different places. How you carry a knife has everything to do with that knife's capability. Yeah. Like if you don't have a good way to carry it, you won't have it with you and you won't use it. Um, yeah. It's like, a, I mean, I, you know, shoot photos on every, every minute of every hunt I'm on basically. Yeah. And if I don't have my camera also on my shoulder harness, I'm not right. going to be taking pictures. Like yeah. you need your knife, you need your camera, whatever you, you're going to try and use, you need it accessible. You and have the, to be able to reach it. Yeah. The sheath that they have, um, they just came out with kind of a modified version. Um, it's just so like, I've walked through the nastiest brush and everything. And that thing is just always right there. I can always, yeah. I mean, I can literally, it's like, it's like having a, a side, a firearm and, um, or a sidearm on, on your hip. Like I just know where it's at always. Yeah. And yeah, the, they definitely, uh, they definitely have a good thing going there. And I've, I mean, I've used every, every blade they've come out with and I like all of them for different reasons, I guess, for, totally. for different uses. Yeah. But, uh, and it, obviously it, a lot of it comes down to like, if you know, I mean, obviously you know how to process a, an animal well, and that's why your blade's still sharp. I mean, if you're cutting right into bone, that's going to dole any knife out sure. there. But I have been super impressed with that steel that they've been using, especially nice. that Magna Cut. Well, that's going to be a great hunt, man. I'm excited for you. I hope you have an awesome time. 
Yeah, I'm excited. Um, that's that's going to be really cool. Yeah. So send me some pictures. Um, if people want to follow along in, in your life and, and see the, the photos and videos that you're getting or follow along with what Everly Stock is doing or try and find some of these videos that you're talking about mm-hmm. to make sure that their pack is fitting them correctly so that they're not going to get hurt and they're going to get the most out of it. Um, where, where can they find this stuff? Um, they can start at the Everly Stock Instagram. I, I run that account. Um, we post pretty frequently, pretty okay. much daily on that. Um, so you'll find out, you know, any new products coming out. That's that's a good place to find us. Um, and then just our website, usually our homepage, uh, we'll have a slider, banners that, you know, we'll have the four kind of, if something just came back in stock or a new item. But, and that's where you'll find a, a bunch of videos. We also have a YouTube channel that we're going to be, um, I mean, we have a ton of videos on there, but we'll be posting a lot more kind of in the field stuff that this upcoming year. So, cool. um, yeah, if people want to check out our YouTube channel, that should be. And I'll be, uh, yeah. Contributing to that a little yeah. bit this year as well, yeah, we're excited um, about which that. I'm really excited about. It's yep. going to be fun. Okay. And then as far as following you personally, do you have an Instagram, anything? Like yeah. That? Um, I'm always so busy posting for Everly stock. I don't post enough on mine, but mine's just Casey underscore Richmond. Okay. Yep. Cool. So, all right, man. Well, thank you for your time. And no, thank you. It's been uh, fun. Man, if I hear that you went down there and shot a coos deer and I don't get a picture of it, we're going to be no, I'll send words. you a <laughs> Okay. I'll All send right. you uh, an in-reach message from okay. down there. Just, like, <laughs> buck down. I'll send you a picture when I'm across the border. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. I look forward to awesome. it. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.